Hi, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Welcome to another New Thinking podcast. I'm here with Susan Herman, who is an associate professor at Pace University and formerly the executive director of the National Center for Victims of Crime in Washington. And uh, she has been involved with, uh, in some form or another, working with victims of crime for nearly 30 years. And uh, she recently has published a book called Parallel Justice for Victims of Crime, which presents an approach for integrating victims into the way we think about crime in the United States and how we can respond to crime and how we should include victims in, as the title suggests, a parallel justice. So, Susan, thanks for uh, taking the time to speak with me. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Why don't we just start out with you explaining to me a little bit about your experience focusing on uh, victims' issues and how how they brought you to this place where you've uh, come up with this book and, and the ideas behind it. Well, many years ago, um, before I went to law school, I started out as a self-defense instructor working with victims of sexual assault and rape crisis counselors. And I saw firsthand what the trauma of crime can do to people, how debilitating it can be, uh, how the, the reactions of people can last for a long time and can produce um, sort of more limited and more unproductive and satisfying lives um, in people. So I started thinking about what our response to victims of crime should be uh, and how we can respond better as a society, how we can respond better as um, government, as community members, and as individuals. And that's what Parallel Justice is all about. It's a, it's a set of principles and values that provide a framework for a communal response to victims. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about those principles in a moment, but let me ask you how you engage in a nuanced discussion about victims in a world where there seems to be generally the sense that you have victims over on this side, and if you're doing something good for victims, uh, it means you know locking up as many offenders as you can and being as punitive as you can, or if you're on the side of the offenders, you're really looking at you know preserving their rights. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of responses to offenders, but somehow there's there's not a dialogue between these two camps. It's very little dialogue between these camps, and when there is, sometimes it's quite poisonous. There's, it's really fear based politics. There's this sense that if you listen to victims' emotions or understand their needs, that the whole process is going to become too irrational, too emotional, maybe too retributive. There's a sense that if we devote more resources to victims, that means we're taking away resources from offenders. And in my view, we, we have arrived at this polarized conversation because we have neglected to see a few things. We've neglected to really understand the full impact of crime and the cost to our society, the connection between victimization and drug and alcohol abuse, the connection between victimization and homelessness, poverty, poor academic performance, and it leads to, in many cases, offending behavior. If you look at juvenile delinquency, for instance, the greatest risk factor in juvenile delinquency, despite what people think, it's not drug or alcohol abuse, it's not teenage pregnancy, it's victimization. The most prominent risk factor that's recognized in the research 
leading to juvenile delinquency, which later leads to adult criminal behavior, is victimization. So we don't address victimization, in my view, at our peril. I think victim assistance could be one of the greatest crime prevention strategies we could, we could employ. I understand that one of the greatest challenges you face as a victim advocate is that so many people who are, in fact, victims don't even report crimes. Why would you report a, a crime if you think that the only thing that's going to happen has nothing to do with you? If what you need, if you're a, if you're a person who's af- afraid, if you've been beaten up in your neighborhood and you're afraid to go home and your, your laptop and your cell phone have been stolen and you can't um, function anymore on the job or in school, if you don't think that reporting to the police is going to address any of those problems, and all it's going to do is make you take time off from work to go to court or try and find somebody, and the police have said that they don't have a lot of evidence and nothing's going to happen anyway, why report? So we have to create a process where victims feel that um, we care about the impact of crime, we care about what's happened to them, that we acknowledge that what's happened to them is wrong, and that they believe we're going to do everything we can to help them. And we don't have that now. And will they get their laptop and their, in their uh, phone back? Or, well, you know, or the funny. equivalent who, be compensated who, for Who them? reports? You know, people who have their cars stolen or damaged report, because unless, unless they report, um, they, they won't get any insurance. Right? right, and so there's a there's a goodie that comes from reporting. Right. So I think we have to have this mindset that there has to be some response that addresses the needs of victims. Otherwise, why should they tell us about this? That might be comp- more compensation. That might be counseling and support. It might be helping them fix the broken window that the burglar went through right away. You are actually addressing their need to be safe rather than just saying. I see you have a broken window. That's how we got in. I'll see if I can find them. I'm speaking with uh, Susan Herman, who's uh, formerly the executive director of the National Center for Victims of Crime, and she's an associate professor at Pace and the author of a new book, Parallel Justice for Victims of Crime. Tell me about some of the principles that you referred to earlier. One of the things that we know from research is that when you're a victim of crime, and this is really across the board, almost any kind of crime, you are more vulnerable to crime for a short period of time at least, than you were before that crime occurred. So you are vulnerable to what we call repeat victimization. And so uh, one of the principles of parallel justice is that the safety of victims would be a high priority. And that means for the police, for the prosecutors, for the courts, for healthcare people, anyone who is responding to that victim, they would take the time and do what they could to prevent repeat victimization. So for instance, instead of the first responder just determining whether there was a crime that occurred and gathering evidence, you would take the time to figure out what that victim might do to make it less likely that another crime was going to take place. Another principle is that victims would be presumed credible unless there's reason to believe otherwise. And that's pretty fundamental that when someone comes to you and says, this happened to me, that we treat them with the respect and dignity that they deserve by believing them until or unless there is a reason not to, rather than starting out as skeptical 
and non-believing or trivializing or dismissing what they say. And is that common? I mean, I, I would think that most places would formally say their policy would be to, you know, police Most people would say their formal policy, sure, except if you look at police departments across the country who are under great pressure to have their crime statistics as low as possible, and then you talk to victims who feel that their complaint either wasn't taken or it was downgraded, that violates that principle of parallel justice. They were not presumed credible. And is there a hierarchy of victims where, you know, people who have been victims of violent crime versus nonviolent or identity theft versus rape or, I mean, obviously there's things are more severe than others, but does the system also see it that way too and treat victims differently in a way that you feel perhaps should be corrected or is not appropriate? Yeah, I think over the last um, 30 years we've created a... Um, you know, statutes at the state level, federal laws, thousands and thousands of victims' rights um, pieces of legislation that are primarily directed at victims of violent crime. Two-thirds of victims of crime in this country are victims of property crime or nonviolent crime, and they are left out of most victims' rights legislation, which means we, we know that victims of property crime take days off from work, lose money, often have the same financial, psychological, um, sometimes actually even physical responses of violation and depression, mental illness, that victims of violent crime do. If you just imagine you're the victim of a mugging on the street, somebody's knocked you down and taken your wallet and taken 10 bucks out of your wallet. You have the right to be notified of the proceedings, to know what happens to the offender, to know where he or she is in the system. You have the right to speak in court. If you are the victim of identity theft and your entire life savings has been wiped out, you may not have those rights. Does that seem fair? Wow. No, not when you put it that way. Can you offer some examples of, of programs or jurisdictions that have begun to incorporate uh, the ideas in parallel justice? I've seen a lot of positive change. Vermont's doing a lot. Vermont has created a, um, a resource bank where there are 45 businesses that are providing free or discounted services to victims of crime, um, anything from you know, food uh, to massages, you know, things that are just nice extras. You know, we can help you feel better to necessities like clothing and um, furniture to help you set up uh, a place that's been destroyed. And who coordinates that? Well, the Vermont Center for Crime Victim Services and the Parallel Justice Project there, um, which is run out of the police department and a community development organization in town. They that's are in working. Burlington. That's in Burlington. Thank you. They're working with the Chamber of Commerce there. So, and they've adopted the, the term parallel justice. They I use mean. the term. They have a parallel justice specialist who works out of the police department, actually right next to a traditional victim advocate. And so they're very clear that they're distinct roles. One, the victim advocate is helping you understand what the criminal justice process is like. The parallel justice specialist is helping you rebuild your life, is saying, what do you need? Do you, do you need child care while you're at court? Do you need help cleaning up the crime scene? We can do that with you. So as you have said, the idea, and as embodied in the name, parallel justice right. really is not necessarily in any way dependent on the criminal justice not response. In any way. It, it if, exists, it can exist wholly apart that's from right. that. Parallel justice really involves a separate set of responses 
to victims that it's not just about reforming the criminal justice process. It's saying that whenever a crime is committed, there would be a separate and distinct set of responses that flow from the government, from the community, and from individuals, regardless of the status of the offender. It shouldn't matter whether we ever identify or convict an offender. That should have no impact on our decisions to help a victim of crime once we believe that they are a victim of crime. Um, you can have a victim who really doesn't need much and you still may want to prosecute the offender, and you can have a victim who really would appreciate to be relocated, to have psychotherapy, to have someone to talk to every once in a while, regardless of whether the offender is ever caught. There are some wonderful examples of really being open to what victims need that have come out of this Vermont work. For instance, there's a woman who was sexually assaulted while she was going for her run in the park, and she didn't really want to be a part of a victim support group. She didn't really think she needed psychotherapy. If you asked her, what do you want, she said, I want someone to run with me because I'm too afraid to run by myself at this point. That's where the Parallel Justice Specialist and the Resource Bank come in. They worked with a running shop in town to find people who would be appropriate to escort her for a while. So Susan, how can people find out more about Parallel Justice and, and where can they buy your book? Oh, great questions. There's a website, paralleljustice.org. You can certainly buy the book through that website, individual or bulk rate, or you can get it on Amazon, either one. But I hope that people see this as a, a positive image of justice and something that everyone can take, have a part in implementing. Well, I hope so too. Thank you. I've been speaking to uh, Susan Herman, who is formerly the executive director of the National Center for Victims of Crime in Washington, D.C. She's also an associate professor at Pace University, and she's author of the new book, Parallel Justice for Victims of Crime. I'm Rob Wolf, director of communications at the Center for Court Innovation. To find out more about our work at the Center for Court Innovation, you can visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org. Thanks for listening.